Hello, and welcome to Snapshots Live, our webinar series at San Francisco Public Works. I'm Rachel Gordon. We're really happy to have you here today. Today's webinar is going to be about emergency storm response in San Francisco, and Public Works really is at the forefront. We're going to hear from four panelists who are going to talk to us about how they prepare for the storms, how they respond to the storms, and really what it means to take care of the city. You may have felt it a little bit last night with a lot of rain coming down. I was out and about today. There were some puddles and some leaves down. It wasn't the worst that we get, and we're going to see how we really can handle uh, when the worst does come to San Francisco. This webinar is going to last about 45 minutes. You're going to have a chance for a Q&A at the end of this. Be sure to put your questions in the chat function, and we'll make sure we can get to them. Also, this session is going to be recorded, so please be aware of that. Uh, but I'd like to get started right away with our panelists. We've got Bimu Shrestha, who is a hydraulics engineer with San Francisco Public Works, Peter Lau, who's a superintendent of Street Environmental Services, Carla Short, our acting deputy director for operations, also known as the Queen of Trees in San Francisco, and Matt Niclerio, our superintendent of the Bureau of Street Repair. So let's get started right now. Uh, Bimo, why don't you just tell us what's going on with hydraulics engineering and storm response? Thanks, Rachel. Sure. Uh, my name is Bimo Sresto. I work uh, at Public Works Hydraulic Section along with 50 other engineers and supporting staff. And what we primarily do is we plan, study, and design sewers and the drainage system uh, for the city. And we do maintain a large amount of sewer and drainage related information for the city, uh, which we provide to general public, uh, private developers, our uh, sister agencies throughout the city. And also we use that information for our day-to-day um, -day sewer uh, and drainage design projects. Uh, you might already know our city is served by 1000 miles of combined sewer system. Um, during winter rain, uh, in addition to the sanitary flow, we get runoff from uh, roofs, streets, gutters, parks. All of that water is collected in uh, our sewer system and they're transported to the treatment plant. However, during uh, heavy rain, low-lying areas along the historical um, creek, uh, where the historical creeks were, those areas face the brunt of flooding once in a while. Uh, when the sewer system is overwhelmed. Now, because it's a combined sewer system and the way the uh, drainage system is designed for the city, the, uh, there are times when the streets themselves act as a uh, major flood path, and that is by design. And we, by our careful design, we try to make sure that uh, individual properties are not affected when um, Mother Nature pours a large amount of rain. Um, as you can see in this map, which is product of uh, our simulation of the hydrology in the city and the drainage system, some of the major historical creek areas, they pop up as uh, major flood-prone um, areas. Those areas are very much well identified and we are all aware of where those problem areas are. Now, storm was is one of an uh, exciting day for us uh, hydro hydraulic engineers because that is when we Mother Nature tests the things that we have built, designed, or maintained. And if there is a major storm forecast in our national weather forecast or local weather forecast, what we do is 
we keep a good good track uh, track on all the forecasts, and we visit all the flood prone areas. Usually, uh, we engineers gear up, put on their hard hat and all safety gears, and team up in uh, two or three engineers. Then we head out in our uh, trucks with whatever rigs and shovels we have. But our primary goal is to observe things. However, if we see any um, situation which is dangerous for public safety, then of course we make a call to 911 or any other relevant agencies, say Caltrans, uh, so that we uh, prevent any untoward uh, incidents from happening. Um, in that process, we also become kind of um, ambassadors for the city as well. It is a good uh, presence, showing GPW's presence on the street when there is some problem. Oftentimes, you might meet some random uh, homeowners running to you and say, hey, I got to get water is coming towards my house. What do I do? And we can at least guide them to, okay, call 311, or you can collect the sandbags from some other locations. Sometimes we even go out of our way to say, okay, just wait here. Uh, we'll bring some sandbags for you. And we do that kind of thing as a uh, gesture to show our uh, 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 serving the public in a nice way. Um, most of the important thing what we do again is collecting information so that that information becomes a valuable future uh, reference when we have any sewer projects or street improvement projects or sidewalk projects or even parks. The information we have collected becomes a very good collective knowledge base to act on it when the time comes. Uh, also because of all the concern for the climate change, hopefully with the information we gather, we are more prepared to adapt to future um, effects of the climate change. Uh, some of the simple um, uh, simplified lessons that we have learned from the past are the wherever there is flooding, it is not necess necessarily so that the origin of the flood is right at that site. The origin, the flood problem might start somewhere up on the hill or somewhere even downstream. So that is a very good lesson for, from many of our observations that we have to pay good attention to up the hill and down the hill as well. And over a period of time, whatever exceptions we make in our design, they adds up and suddenly after many years or even a decade or so later, those problems compound and cause unexpected damage uh, to the private properties or uh, individual properties or even uh, obstructing traffic, things like that. So knowing all this, only our collective care can keep the city safe and resilient to flooding down the road. Whatever we have been handed down by our predecessors, we have to keep it at least in the same condition or make it better. And I will share you some of the pictures of our observations just to illustrate uh, the amount of um, conscious care we have to take in our work. Here are a few, some of the typical problems uh, during heavy rain, manholes can surcharge with combined sewage and water can be on the street. Um, if the sidewalks are not elevated properly, water can get into the sidewalks. Um, another common problem you can see on the left bottom left slide is because our drainage system is a combined sewer system, the rainwater during heavy rain can actually come out through our toilets, bathtubs, and sinks as well. That happens uh, 
not that irregular that we see that a lot as well. So with this, and also uh, houses that are developed without paying close attention to the flood levels might also take the brunt of flood water. Uh, so in that process, we try to make sure that we educate our fellow engineers as well as private developers enough that if we see any problem areas, we try to educate everybody that, okay, we got to pay extra attention to these areas. Another uh, equally important thing we keep an eye is the tide levels. As you know, the climate change or um, has uh, caused the sea level to rise continuously. It has already risen by almost eight inches in the last hundred years, and it might rise even more. Uh, and because our sewer system is a combined sewer system that um, is designed to overflow five to ten times a year, because you cannot continuously treat the water in very continuous heavy rains. So water goes out through these outfalls and the design of these outfalls to make sure that the outfalls are elevated in such a way that water can still go out when there is high tide in San Francisco Bay or Pacific Ocean. And that our low lying areas are not just flooded because of the tides is a very important uh, balance we have to do on a very long-term planning for the city. Uh, so here are some two uh, locations. One is the Isles Creek outfall and another one is the Division Street outfall. Um, so these are, there are about 30 outfalls like this throughout the city that helps relieve the flood water uh, without causing inland flooding. Here, if you were out there at this location on a sunny day, we would not even know that this, pro this area can be prone to flooding. So this is, um, I think it's uh, Cayuga Avenue somewhere uh, down by Lyle. So in last, let's say um, 10 years, we have had three major flooding incidents here. Uh, this is 2004 flooding. It's one of the most uh, dramatic flooding we have had. And uh, this, we have to pay much more attention when there is any changes that is being made in this neighborhood. For example, think about it, that very house in front you are seeing, if that house were being rebuilt today, what would we do? Who, what kind of responsibilities do we as um, engineers from the city have to protect that house from not taking the brunt of this flooding? So all those things are plays in back of our mind whenever we review any um, private developments or even uh, city projects as well. This is another classic uh, flooding we saw. This was uh, 2012 in Wawona and 15th um, Avenue. As you can see, the car is almost half submerged. It happened in the middle of the night and lots of houses were flooded. And this didn't even happen because of the rain. This happened because of the water main break. So even though I might be paying very close attention to the rainwater, now think of it that even having Water main break can suddenly change a perfectly nice place into a major uh, flood disaster. So as engineers, it's always good to learn from the past disasters and learn from past uh, mistakes and improve things. And that is the goal we try to um, have in our day-to-day stormwater -day, uh, uh, process. I'll hand over to Peter now. Hey guys, good afternoon. I'm Peter Lau, Superintendent for the Bureau of Street Environmental Services. Um, the Bureau of Street Environmental Services, or SES for short, 
is responsible for cleaning the city's streets and public spaces using mechanical street sweepers and manual cleaning crews. Every year, our mechanical sweeper fleet removes about 25,000 tons of leaves and litter from the city's streets. Um, aside from the obvious benefit of having the streets looking nice, uh, mechanical sweeping also helps prevent localized flooding by uh, keeping the storm drains clear of uh, any debris. Uh, a lot of the work that we do uh, at SES is actually to maintain the city's storm drain system and uh, be better prepared for, uh, for storm events. Um, in December of 2018, uh, we started participating in the storm watch coordination calls that were held by the uh, Public Utility Commission or PUC. Uh, it gave departments an opportunity to share information on staffing resources and response priorities. Um, it helps to leverage a citywide coordination and to improve uh, and also ensure that participant groups are familiar with other groups' roles and functions. Uh, we also review any lessons learned or areas of improvement from uh, prior storm responses. Ultimately, the goal is to have a stronger joint weather response. Um, in the past, to prepare for storm events, our field staff worked off of historical data and knowledge that was passed down from veteran supervisors. Uh, there wasn't really anything that was uh, documented. Last year, after some uh, pretty damaging storm events, in an effort to be more prepared for future storms, uh, we started working with the Bureau of Infrastructure Design and Construction's Hydrology, hydrology Group uh, to get a better sense of where the areas of concern are. Uh, hydrology developed a Google map, as you can see on the screen, uh, of priority catch basin raking locations. Um, also this year, uh, during a recent stormwash coordination call, in the interest of sharing uh, information, PUC's wastewater division provided us uh, with their maps of historical flood prone areas, uh, similar to what BMU had presented earlier. Uh, we've since added all this information to our staff's zone books and uh, before any predictive storm event, uh, we'll review the, the locations with our operations supervisors uh, to make sure that any of the known problem areas are not only clean and clear before the storm hits, but also monitored during uh, storm events to prevent any sort of localized flooding. SCS is a 24-7 uh, operation. Our radio room is staffed with dispatchers to receive, triage, and send out service requests um, to our guys out in the field. Uh, on average, we receive about 20,000 calls a month. There's a slight increase during storm events, uh, mainly depending on the severity of the rain and the wind. Uh, because we're always uh, have, having staff out in the field, uh, we're typically the first responders to calls for public safety concerns uh, in the right of way, like downed trees, damaged trees, potholes, sinkholes, or any sort of flooding issues. Um, during these storm events, our dedicated staff uh, continue to drive and work in the pouring rain and gusty winds um, sometimes wading knee-deep in water, trying to relieve a clogged storm drain. They'll brave the harsh conditions, um, trying to make sure the city is clean and that the public is safe. Um, after the locations have been temporarily made safe by our staff, we'll either call upon PUC to deploy their vector trucks to relieve the uh, clogged storm drain that are beyond our capacity. Uh, we'll also call upon the Bureau of Street and Sewer Repair to take care of any uh, major potholes or sinkholes, or we'll call uh, the Bureau of Urban Forestry to address any sort of major tree concerns. Um, and with that, I'll hand it off to our Queen of Trees, Carla Short. Thanks, Peter. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Carla Short. I'm Acting Deputy Director for Operations, but I'm here 
in what I consider my real job capacity, which is as superintendent of the Bureau of Urban Forestry, to talk a little bit about uh, tree failures during storms and um, what causes them and what we do to respond to them. So um, in, in general, the worst thing for trees when it comes to storms is not rain, um, but it's wind. And even though we talk about downed trees and everyone says how many trees were down, what we usually mean are how many tree limbs were down. But in San Francisco, we have a few species of trees where the limb itself is the size of a tree. So it can be confusing. What we do notice, I'll, I'll talk about wind in a second, but um, as I said, wind is usually worse than rain. But what we do notice is the first rain of the season, we tend to have a lot of limbs that come down. And one theory about that is uh, over the course of the year, you know, everyone talks about trees cleaning the air and they do trap particulate matter. And what we've found is that um, during that first rain of the season, the rain kind of sticks more to, to the leaves on the trees because of all the particulate matter. Um, and that tends to make them heavy. And then we see a lot of uh, tree limbs coming down. So while it is usually the limbs that come down, we do see entire trees uh, that do come down. And uh, that is more common after we've had many, many days of consistent rain. Um, if, if the soil doesn't have a chance to dry out at all between rains, it can become super saturated. And that basically means that tree roots have nothing to hold on to. And so it's after many, many days of um, consistent rain without a break that we, which we haven't had in a, in a while, um, but that's where we tend to see entire trees falling down. People are always asking, you know, when there's a storm on the horizon, oh, are you going to do anything special? What are you going to do to prepare for the storm? And I say, basically, we're doing what we do every day. If we're doing our jobs right, we're inspecting trees every day, we're pruning trees every day, and we're trying to eliminate uh, the structural flaws in trees that are likely to fail if there's a heavy windstorm. There's no way that we can dry out the soil from supersaturation. So we focus on addressing any kind of structural flaws in trees. And so our day-to-day -day work is in preparation for storm every day. So one of the things that we have noticed about trees is if we have to remove um, the first tree or the, the um, tree on the end of a row of trees, we find that the adjacent trees are more susceptible to failure. And the reason for this is the tree that's the most exposed or at the end of the line becomes adapted to those windy conditions. So if a tree is growing up, you know, from a young age uh, in windy conditions, then it's actually putting on what we call reaction wood and it's, uh, it's prepared to face those winds. But if a tree is growing in a sheltered condition, so if there's another tree next to it that's taking the brunt of the winds, that tree is not really prepared to get hit by a gust of wind. And so what we can see is that if we remove that windbreak tree, the first tree in the, in the line of trees, um, or the most exposed tree in the line of trees, it can put the other trees at risk. So trees are cool. Um, and I want all you engineers out there to pay attention. Trees invented the I-beam. I don't know if this slide really can show, but when trees have a, uh, a long limb that's growing out, they'll put on reaction wood and it literally will form like an I-beam, which this, that's what this is. I'm not sure if it's visible. 
Um, but basically, trees react in the same way. So it'll it'll add wood on the top and the bottom of that branch to make that branch able to be growing out longer. And trees will do the same thing in different conditions. So they'll add reaction wood on the windy side to help stabilize them in, in the face of wind. And um, that's why we can have, um, you know, if that if that adapted tree gets removed, there are there can be um, consequences for the other trees. But this process takes years. If anyone has ever tried to watch a tree grow, you know that it doesn't just add wood on uh, in front of your very eyes. And so when we remove one of those edge trees, um, it takes years before the other trees have adapted to the wind. So this is our crew out responding. As Peter said, we're out there in the cold and the rain when everybody else wants to be snuggled up under a blanket um, drinking hot cocoa. And I remember the largest uh, or the first big storm of my career with Public Works was January 4th, 2008. That, that date is seared in my memory. Um, we knew the storm was coming. And so we were planning ahead. Um, and I had told the tree crew supervisors, you know, if you're starting to get too many calls for you to easily triage, give me a call and I'll come in and help. And I got that call at two o'clock in the morning on a Friday morning. And... Um, <laughs> Robert Stafford, who's one of our tree crew supervisors, just said, Carla, it's starting. I was like, oh boy, here we go. So I came into work and um, we had over 700 calls um, during that storm and our crews were working around the clock. Um, we actually created rotations for the crews. We had landscape crews helping out, um, providing ground support to our arborists. And everybody was pretty bleary eyed. We worked, you know, two and a half days straight. Um, we had to send people home because they were like, you know, I'm ready. I can still work. And I'm like, your eyes are so bloodshot. You should not be handling a chainsaw. Um, but we got through it. It took about three weeks for us to finish the cleanup from that storm. And, you know, BMU may correct me, but uh, I remember being told afterwards that that was a hundred year storm. I don't know if that's really the case. So our um, storm preparedness, as I said, every day we do work preparing for the storms. We try to um, identify those, those um, limbs that might be weak or cracked and remove them before there's a storm. But we have two arborists and one supervisor on call every day of the year, and um, they will respond 24 seven, um, like the other operations bureaus to address any trees or tree limbs that come down. And so with that, I will uh, hand this over to Matt McClario because um, down trees are only part of the equation. Thank you, Carla. So my name is Matt McClario and I am the superintendent for the Bureau of Street and Sewer Repair, also known as BSSR. Um, as was mentioned by the other operation bureaus, we're 24 seven and our winter response, emergency response to storms is both for preparation for a storm, working during the storm, and then um, making repairs after the storm. One of the things that we do in preparation for a storm is we have a sandbag distribution at our main operations yard at 2323 Cesar Chavez, which is at the intersection of Marin Street and Kansas. So uh, the city allows residents and businesses up to 10 free sandbags and you need to just show us uh, proof of residency. Uh, during COVID, we ask that if you come to get sandbags that you of course wear a mask and we ask that you load your own sandbags. 
Carla had mentioned one of the storms that she remembers. Uh, one of the uh, events that sticks in my mind is our Sandbag Saturday giveaway back in 2000. Uh, 15. This is after several years of no rain. So we had a drought and the weather forecasters were predicting an El Nino year and we were getting a lot of requests for sandbags at our main yard. In fact, we couldn't keep up. So we worked with the the director and established four locations city throughout the city where we were giving out sandbags. And in those two weekends, those two Saturdays, we distributed 10,000 sandbags, which is over what a normal year would be. Because of the heavy rains that year, we distributed over 24,000 sandbags that year. During a storm, uh, there may be flooding, as Peter mentioned, and the Bureau of uh, Street Environmental Services, or SES, will contact our on-call supervisor and let us know when streets are flooded or if there's a major sinkhole or other pavement uh, uh, damage. So we will go in and we will install road closures or tridents or uh, if necessary, K-rails. This is a, a photo of what we don't like to see. This is a sinkhole that occurred at Lake and 16th Street back in 2014. And you can see that there's a gas line exposed there. So not only is it dangerous uh, for the pavement and the street, but it's also dangerous for the residents in the area because uh, if that gas line were to be damaged, there would be dire uh, situation. It would be a dire situation. So during a storm, we also have to take care of pothole repairs. Typically, what we like to do with potholes is use hot mix asphalt, but during the rainy season, the asphalt plants are not working. So we use a cold patch and um, we've been experimenting with different types of cold patches and have successfully found a product that's called Easy Street. So Easy Street. And the nice thing about this is it can be applied in a puddle. So if there is water in the pothole, we'll remove as much as we can, but we can't get all the water from that pothole, this easy street can be easily applied and adhere to the areas of the pothole and stays for several months. And then we can go back and refill with hot mix asphalt when the plants are open and it's available. Um, you may be wondering, well, how does a pothole actually occur, Matt? Well, that's a good question. Let me tell you. So when we build our streets, we build it thinking of it being a flexible pavement and it's going to need to continue to take axle loads from different vehicles, different types of vehicles, whether it be cars or buses or heavy trucks. So over time, though, the pavement ages and cracks develop. Initially, they're small cracks, but when it rains, water gets into those small cracks and there's still vehicles going over it. And that pumping of the water with the tires makes the cracks larger. And eventually the water gets underneath the pavement and starts to deteriorate the sub-base. Once the sub-base deteriorates, as vehicles go over that, the pavement starts to collapse and you have a pothole. We try to avoid that. One of the proactive things we do at SSR is uh, we have an active crack sealing program that's done in the spring and in the fall. And we literally are filling cracks with an emulsion, asphalt emulsion, uh, to prevent water from getting into those cracks. What I'm trying to show in this slide is just how our work increases with rain. So um, the blue 
graph, the blue is showing the amount of precipitation we're, we received. And the chart is from January of 2015 to November of 2020. The pink is showing how our service orders increase with rain. So a service order can be anywhere from four potholes to, uh, on average, we fill four to five potholes per service order. The interesting thing here is not only are potholes requests increasing and our workload increasing, but there's a slight delay in after a rain event when, when potholes are created and we have service orders to work on. And again, that's because of this pumping that I was talking about getting in under the pavement and then eventually collapsing and creating a pothole. What I was trying to show here is that uh, the amount of pothole repair that we do is not linear. So if there's a one inch increase in uh, runoff or rainfall in a season, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but it's actually much greater. And this is meant to show that the, the workload increases exponentially. In fact, typically in a dry, wind, uh, a dry month, we would probably fix or uh, repair about 350 potholes. And during some of our worst storm months, we've actually repaired 18,000 potholes. And that's a statistic just from February of last year. Carla also mentioned that in the winter we have rain, of course, but there's also wind. And that's something we in SSR also need to keep in mind because with the wind, there's an impact to the creation of sand dunes. And then that sand spills over into the Great Highway. This is a photo of us clearing the Great Highway after a large wind event during the winter. We have to close the Great Highway and then vehicles have to divert to other residential streets. As a measure for prevention, every year we have an annual sand clearing project. Uh, this is uh, some photos that I'll be showing you of the before and after uh, effects of that annual project. So this is a photo of a sand dune just north of Noriega Street. You can see over the year, um, because of wind, how, how large that sand dune gets. On the left, we're showing the work during, uh, during the actual project, the piece of equipment that's being used. We actually have to close one of the lanes so equipment can get in and out. And they are now starting to groom um, and reshape the dune. Uh, the photo on the right is showing that as we're reshaping it, one of our requirements from the permit that we have says that we need to avoid any of the vegetation. So um, you can see, as this piece of equipment is mo uh, reshaping the dune, we are actually avoiding the vegetation. And then this is what we actually do each year. We're building a bench, depending on funding, it's 20 to 30 feet wide, and then we will slope back the sand dune on a one to two slope. But again, next year, the sand dune will encroach again into the roadway. That's mother nature for you. So basically that's briefly what SSR does, but we also would like you to help us. If you um, have flooding in your neighborhood, you can help us prevent flooding in your neighborhood. We ask that you don't sweep or blow leaves or, or place yard trimmings into the street or into the gutter. What we would prefer you do is that you deposit those in your compost bin and um, and if you could help us sweep up the gutter and put uh, any leaves that accumulate in the gutter into your compost bin, we would appreciate that. Of course, we ask that you don't litter and um, 
with that and with your cooperation, we can ensure that leaves don't get into the catch basin because leaves in the street will eventually be pushed with the runoff towards the catch basin, cause the catch basin to clog. And then we have uh, Peter's crew um, trying to uh, you know, release the clog. And sometimes, as Peter mentioned, they're knee deep into water. So please help us help you prevent your neighborhood from flooding. It's like, I'd like to now to turn over to Ben. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to the rest of our panelists as well for giving us the rundown on Public Works's uh, storm response and preparation efforts. My name is Ben Peterson. I'm on the Public Works communications team, and I'm going to be facilitating uh, the Q&A portion of today's webinar. Um, if you have questions and you haven't submitted them already, you can do so by clicking the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen or uh, just by sending it through the chat and we'll try to get through as many uh, questions with the time that we have remaining. Um, <clears throat> our uh, first question, I think it might be to uh, Bimu might be the best person to answer this. Um, one of the audience members is asking, has the city updated the sewer system at Cayuga and Rousseau cul-de-sac that flooded in 2008 um, 2014 and 2016. Yeah, and, uh, thanks for that it. one's in the chat too, if you want to refer to it. Okay, thanks for a very good question. Uh, no, we have not yet updated any sewer on Cayuga yet. Uh, PUC is in the process of studying um, downstream sewer capacities uh, now. I think uh, based on the outcome of those studies, things may be better. Uh, however, I want to emphasize that prevention is much better than cure. I mean, had we been in this, uh, if we knew that today, we would make sure that those houses would be built flood safe. So there are many other locations like that where our action today can make things better 50 years down the road. Um, so yeah, to a short answer, no major improvement has been done on Cayuga system yet. Thank you, Bimu. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of different elements that go into that, especially with an area with so many houses and so much pavement as well. Um, our next question is from Wallace Lee. Um, he asks, um, besides the sewers, um, how can how can the um, wait, how can the other public surface infrastructure support flood issues? So how can, yeah, I guess how can other um, public infrastructure other than sewers um, help mitigate flooding? And I guess this is an open question to whoever might have a, an idea um, on how to answer that. Can I dive in, Ben? Sure thing. It's a great question um, from an urban forestry perspective. So actually planting trees does help mitigate stormwater issues um, in kind of in two ways. One is that the, the canopies of the trees slow down the flow of water. And so if we can slow down the flow of water, then we can hopefully have give the sewer system time to absorb the water. So it actually makes less going in all at once, um, which uh, can hopefully help avoid overflowing um, the sewer system. But also we can plant um, other landscaped areas. Um, anytime you remove the pavement, you reduce the amount of flow that's going into the sewer system. So planting trees, the roots will absorb water as well, and the basin that they're planted in will absorb water. But if we do understory plantings, and with urban forestry, we consider you know, all the plants in the city as part of our urban forest. So landscaped areas, um, median areas, all of those 
areas that reduce the amount of pavement also reduce the amount of water flow. And so, you know, from our perspective, that is our green infrastructure and it should be treated as significantly as other infrastructure in the city. Yeah, I can add a little bit more to that as well. <clears throat> like I mentioned in my um, earlier slides that the streets drainage system are part integral part of our urban um, flood prevention uh, fabric. So whenever there are new developments being done, we collectively, we should try not to obstruct the natural flood path of the um, uh, terrain and also retaining the capacities, flood conveyance capacities of the streets, channels, uh, gutters, uh, catch basins, those are important as well. And oftentimes we see when there is a large development that is being done, when there is slight improvement that can be done to prevent flooding, it becomes a significant cost for private developers to um, digest. However, collectively when as city agencies, we emphasize those kind of problems, um, they are willing to, once we explain it clearly, uh, we can influence that design as well. And we have done that in many cases. There are many buildings and sidewalks in the street in the last 20 years that our active uh, participation or involvement and uh, providing a concrete evidence that, look, this is a problematic area. We are just trying to make sure you are safe, not just uh, we're adding unnecessarily cost to your project, but you are helping yourself has worked out pretty good. So our collective effort is important in my um, short answer. Great, thank you both. Um, our next question, I believe it'd be best answered uh, by Matt. Um, and one of the attendees is asking, um, how do we care for our sandbags that we receive from uh, Public Works and do they expire at any point? That is a great question. Um, so it depends on the type of flooding that's in your neighborhood. So sandbags can be reused if they're not contaminated. So um, if you have a sandbag and it's just regular uh, runoff that has um, saturated the sandbags, dry them out and you can continue to reuse them until the burlap starts to wear off. Um, and it, as it's, if it's leaking sand, you do need to dispose of it. You cannot dispose of it um, as garbage or solid waste. And here in the city, we ask that you bring it to Recology. Recology has a site um, um, isolated off um, of their yard where sand can be brought. Um, however, if, as uh, Bimu mentioned, here in, in San Francisco, we have a combined sanitary and storm drain system. So um, you will actually, in some areas, have uh, flooding that has contaminants of sewage or, or, or other uh, contaminants. In that case, if your sandbags have that type of contamination, um, you do not want to be bringing them uh, to uh, Recology. It's a contaminated bag, considered hazardous waste. We ask that you handle it very carefully with gloves and dispose of it as if you would hazardous waste. Thank you, Matt. It seems like there are definitely a lot of things to keep in mind when you, when you take home some sandbags, especially with the combined sewer system that we have. Um, our next question um, is from Denny and he asks, uh, does the city ever receive claims from property owners that might blame the city for roadway flooding due to deferred maintenance or design projects, especially if the overflow uh, damages their property. Um, and I guess this one could be for, for um, any of the panelists. Um, basically, yeah, does the city ever receive any claims um, about um, deferred maintenance um, due to roadway flooding? 
Yeah, I can try to answer that question. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> if there is any damage that occurs in private businesses or properties, yes, citizens have every right to um, come to the city and ask for uh, either compensation or claim damages. Sometimes those damages turn, um, claims turn into um, legal actions as well. So yes, anything um, that, any damages that occur due to any flooding does come to the city one way or the other. And, and I would just add that um, it's the Public Utilities Commission that's responsible for the operation and maintenance of the storm and sanitary system. So I, I do agree with BMU that um, we would be liable. Um, and I do have information that PUC has had in the past had to settle claims for property damage at some of the flooding, ongoing flooding locations that BMU mentioned. All right, um, thank you. Our, um, looks like we have time for probably about one or two more questions. Um, the next one we have is actually also for Matt. Um, how long does it typically take uh, to reshape and uh, move that um, sand dune along the Great Highway at Noriega? Is that like a couple day project, a week long, couple of weeks? So the, the projects typically have lasted a week. We do more than just the Noriega sand dune. We typically reshape three sand dunes and we're also um, clearing sand away from the promenade and that seawall. So uh, that work takes approximately five to seven days. Okay. And it's been pretty consistent in the six years that I've been here. It's a pretty, pretty quick job, but a lot of work. Um, and okay, the next question, I guess, could go for, for everyone because it kind of applies to all different um, aspects of storm response. Um, given the COVID-19 pandemic, um, has that uh, brought forth any additional challenges in responding to heavy rain events? I guess we haven't really received much heavy rain yet, but can you foresee that uh, uh, posing extra problems or anything like that? Um, I can start with that one. Um, one of the results of the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders is and we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, residents not moving their vehicles during wow. the uh, scheduled street sweeping days, which does prevent our sweepers from doing a clean job. And it does lead to accumulated debris, which during a storm event can um, lead to a clogged catch basin and, and result in some sort of flooding. Also, we're noticing uh, a lot of PPE, like gloves and, and face masks, kind of just getting littered. Uh, over the streets and sidewalks. So we do ask everyone to properly dispose of those items. Thank you, Peter. Um, anybody else have anything to add? Well, the other thing I would mention is that um, because of social distancing, our crews are primarily driving individually to a job site. So um, there's lots of vehicles at a job site that typically wouldn't be there. So we have crew cabs where we could fit four of our staff, but um, we're being advised to, to um, have them drive separately. So we are having difficulty sometimes finding an area where we can park and certainly during a storm, that's gonna be further complicated. Makes sense. It seems like as with everything else, COVID is kind of throwing a wrench in everybody's plans. <laughs> um, thank you all very much for uh, answering all these questions and for presenting. Um, that wraps up our time for question and answer. I'm going to uh, throw it back to Rachel Gordon. Uh, I'm storm prepared. So this has been a really interesting segment, I think. We do get a lot of public inquiries about storms when they happen from the media as well. 
One thing, as Matt mentioned, what we can do if you do uh, expect rain coming, please sweep up your leaves and dispose of them in your green bins. That will be really helpful uh, for everyone. Call 311, of course, if you see a tree uh, that's down or a hang limb so we can get out to that. But I'd really like to thank our panelists, uh, Bimu, Peter, Matt, and Carla for letting us know what Public Works is doing. Also, if you're watching this and you have some ideas uh, that you'd like to see another webinar on, just let us know. We are gonna take a one month break and we'll be back in February with Snapshots Live. So come back and join us. We have more than 80 people tune in today and this will also be posted on our website so you can check it out a little bit later. But thanks again for joining us at Snapshots Live. We'll see you again soon.